0: Thank you. Welcome everyone back to the Kind Mess podcast. It's been a little while between episodes, but we are joined today by Tina Gibson, um, certified mindful self-compassion teacher and mindfulness teacher, a diverse range of experience in her background from kinesiologist to healthcare worker, rehab counselor, health educator and emergency paramedic. Tina also was part of the crew that taught Michael and I um, our mindful self-compassion training few, three years ago, four, four years ago,
1: yeah. four, and five. She, yeah, we warmly welcome her here tonight. Welcome, Tina. Yay, Tina! It, I am absolutely stoked to have you as is as is Juddles. I speak about my experience with your tuition so fondly. In fact, was just talking about it with a colleague today. And for the listeners, I've considered that I've had two major teachers in my time with mindful self-compassion. So we've we've had uh, we've had John on the first first episode, and now Tina. Can we get an origin story of how you kind of got involved with mindfulness and then mindful self-compassion?
2: Yeah, sure. I just truly think being humans a little bit tricky, a bit hard. <laughs> And uh, fumbled, fumbled through the first maybe 40 years of it, making my good share of mistakes, messing up and just doing the best I could. And then in parenting, I think when I had three teenagers, I started to really struggle and, you know, was fumbling around looking for sort of help for them to get through their teenage years as well. And this one therapist said, oh, honey, you need help. And I'm going, no, no, no. (laughs) <laughs> not me and oh my god did I ever need help and that's when I was an emergency paramedic at the time as well and with three teenage kids and what she taught me was mindfulness it wasn't mindful self-compassion it was mindfulness and and what that gave to me it was a breathing space really this ability to get a little bit of distance from all that was going on and how cleverly I'd become intermeshed and was kind of drowning with everything at that time of my life it's kind of like I imagine you know the lifeguard on the beach that's trying to look after the beach and everyone in the ocean but they're actually in the beach you know they're on the beach and and how the lifeguard's got to actually climb up into the little tower so that they can look over and get a little bit more space so that got me hooked on mindfulness and I shifted careers at that stage. I burnt out, actually, as an emergency paramedic because back then, Mike and Dad, I didn't know self-compassion. Ooh. had a pretty gnarly inner critic <laughs> was telling me I was pretty shit a bit of the time, you know, so it was a bit of a hard job to have a harsh inner critic. And um, I shifted and retrained in kinesiology and um, started using mindfulness a lot in the way that I worked with people and helped people. And then shifted careers again and started uh, working um, in community health with women's health. And we were able to use mindfulness and I was able to get official training in mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and stress reduction and was co-offering programs for women, um, helping them to manage this the struggles of domestic violence, um, and that was eight-week programs, and we did programs for eating disordered eating, etc., and for then um, all different areas of women's health, and then shifted into cancer, cancer support, and once again bringing mindfulness. And this was the period that I started to get more and more feedback from people saying at the end of their mindfulness programs, the biggest thing they got was that they could be kind to themselves. Mm. And it was like, oh, and my mindfulness practice was showing that, yeah, I knew a lot about mindfulness, knew a lot about the being in the present, but I still wasn't that kind to myself. So I started Googling and exploring, and that's when I came across across Kristen Neff. And at that stage, she hadn't yet sort of put the program together, but she was doing these little webinars. Um, you know, Sorry, she was doing programs, but I could join via a webinar. You know, it was sort of like the beginning of that stage. and And I did the first one. It was all through the night as she led this day workshop and she started to talk about the benefits of self-compassion. <laughs> and I met my dear husband at the breakfast bar the next morning and said, there's a way, there's a way. And that was the little spark. And, and it was great timing. It was just serendipitous, really, because I was able to go to America. Similarly to John, he was actually there at the first program that I went to in America. And then I started the the understanding, um, Jad and Mike kind of started to slowly travel from my head into my being. You know, So I wasn't just teaching about it. I was starting to experience it and and it's been slowly cooking along within me and rippling out into my community ever since but I think it's a there's no destination is there you're just mm. it's an ongoing learning.
1: <laughs> I remember I remember one of the things that I took away from practicing and learning from yourself was that that term neck down. And I and I remember I remember initially the first time I heard you say it I was kind of sitting there and I think sometimes as I do I was nodding and as as if I really completely understood and it really didn't land I remember until probably a couple of days later um, can you can you give our listeners uh, that idea or, or that that learning of the concept or, or what's your interpretation when you say neck down it's so interesting oh, to me and I yeah. and I never explain it as well as you do
2: <laughs> oh no pressure Tina god <laughs> I'm not likely to explain it very well now but I'll have a crack um I think for me and for a lot of people we're We're, it's not very natural to offer ourselves self-compassion. That's just sort of how it is. Not many of us, and I don't think it's just an Australia thing. You know, the emphasis, you know, we're born with a bit of a nervous, nervous system, and the emphasis is um, on looking out for others and not so much well, I know in Australia, you know, you were teased when I was a kid if you loved yourself, or, you know, you're like, oh, she hell loves herself, you know, it was like that tall poppy kind yes, of syndrome. Yes. So, because of that, and because of lots of other things, like sometimes we reach out for compassion and we get wounded, you know, and we realize, oh my God, I don't want to be that vulnerable again. Or we reach out for compassion and no one's there wounding again Uh, you know there's many varieties of that kind of wounding often when we're young so it becomes almost a survival strategy to keep a lot of these matters of the heart in our head Uh. you know and we talk about them with lots of words but Mm. uh, we have a we've very cleverly kind of tucked our heart away into some very safe place (laughs) so we don't want to actually be too vulnerable and this is kind of wisdom it's wisdom of the body because we've been hurt in one way or another so this invitation to practice self compassion not just as a gathering of knowledge for you know to keep in our heads But to actually, you know, in the MSC program, it's an experiential program, so we want to actually try it out. But with great respect for the many ways that we have kind of protected our vulnerability as well. So, like you both know, because you teach it, we really encourage people to move slowly. Mm -hmm. It's almost Mm -hmm. like walk slower, so you can go further. You know, and. so what comes first really is the mindfulness, the getting to know ourselves and what's helpful and maybe what's no longer helpful. So, so the neck down is this, I'd like to think, I say it a little bit more gently these days, <laughs> is the invitation to 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 feel a little bit of the experiential side of it um, rather than just gathering knowledge which we do in a lot of other programs that we do and it's someone else's knowledge a lot of the time isn't it? we really want each one of our participants not to get to know Tina or Mike or Jad but themselves and Tina Mike and Jad we're just sort of trying to create a bit of a brave relatively safe external space for that exploration to begin
1: Mm, yes, that is long answer. No, that's and it is totally better than what I've been saying. So, <laughs> uh, th- thank you, thank you. Um, I, <laughs> I think, I think what always appealed to me, um, coming from a, our listeners will know, I came from a long history of sort of Taoist mindfulness practice. Um, adding self compassion into into the mix. Um, it ga- it it allowed me to mine more deeply into my experience safely, um, to sort of feel to feel warmly held. But it was such a novel experience to be to feel warmly held with skill sets that allowed me to hold myself warmly. Um, mm sort of so what i guess what really appealed to me about this stuff it, and again you you made reference when 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 i was learning from you that these are skill sets and and tools and sort of i would contextualize how i would use them depending on connecting to my needs um which brings up that word um i'm always interested yeah. i'm always interested In uh, in more experienced teachers um, unpacking that concept of connection to our needs, Um, Tina Gibson, why has it been such a why why is it such a novel thing to to sort of for us to lean more towards our wants and not sort of connect with our needs? Mm. It's
2: a really good question, Mike, and once again, it's a a unique exploration for each person but you know often now when I'm teaching I'll invite people to just sort of silently say to themselves I have needs Mm. and notice what comes up you know and um, sometimes people share a little story comes up of don't be needy you know like um, it's, it's really interesting our relationship words I think carry a force they almost carry a spell to them you know, and um, sometimes for the helpful and sometimes not so helpful. So a big part of mindful self-compassion is really that permission for people to find their own words, isn't it, Mm. you know, to take the words that we say that might be helpful, but we really want them to find their own words because words can kind of help to open doors and also close them. Um and part of that so that's that's part of it another part is that we really all do including you and Jad and myself have a nervous nervous system you know so we're on the lookout we don't want to be the needy one you know we want to be the one that has the big fire hose of compassion to shoot at other people <laughs> so i think i think it goes back to this vulnerability again and I know Brene Brown and people like that. You know, there's power of vulnerability, and it takes a while to walk that that path to actually feel your substance and feel the strength that there is in vulnerability. It takes a lot of practice, doesn't it? So, and to say, "Hey, I have limits and I have needs," it's pretty awesome to be able to get to that stage but it takes a little bit of walking almost sometimes dad and mike i think it's almost going against the grain of society you know we're told to find our flow and go with the with the grain of our life but sometimes it feels that we're going against the grain to actually come home again to Mm. where maybe we once when we were little things that we were more in tune with yeah, so I think needs are one of them because a lot mm. of us are socialised to, to like I said before, not to be needy, but really, like like we know, underneath a lot of our bad behaviour and, gosh, I, I can behave badly quite easily, is an unmet need, mm. you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely say, and I'd be interested in, in the response from both you wonderful people, that... If I had to crystallize down, one of the greatest benefits that I've had from training with mindful self-compassion is I've been more skillful in expressing my needs under duress. Mm. Mm. Whether that's I'm in the middle of a shopping center and I have a child that's body flat on the ground having a tantrum about certain things or interrelational sort of if I feel under duress, yeah. it's, it's given me that that land that wider landscape between stimulus and response where i can kind of express my needs more more skillfully <laughs> under under duress mm-hmm. and probably treat myself forgive myself quicker when i invariably drop the ball tina i'd be interested yeah what would you say such a reductive question but if you sort of had to pick one of the chief benefits that that personally you've gained from these sorts of practices, how would you answer mm. that?
2: <laughs> oh I know it's quite easy. And then I'd really like to hear from Jad mm. about how it how it's helped him as well. But it's without a doubt, it is the issue of shame. Ah. You know, because the bottom line, you know, we all have these needs, but when it hits really the the bottom of the bottom, it's that need for connection and the need to be loved. And um, when we fear that either of them, uh, you know, something about us will leave us uh, not loved or disconnected, um, that's the biggest thing. And it's, if I was going to say that, just that one thing, it would be that uh, mindfulness and compassion and inner compassion are like the, not the antidote, but almost like the solvent that, unsticks us from shitsville where shame can take us you know that's (laughs) almost like going to disappear into the very fabric of the earth sometimes you know so um you know shame has us really critical of ourselves, and self-compassion asks us you know what would love say right now and and shame has us feeling so not part of anything you know disconnected isolating wanting to hide and and self-compassion reminds reminds us well compassion reminds us that part of being human is this need to be loved and feeling that fear of not being loved you know and and shame can um overtake us overwhelm us whereas mindfulness says what else is here you know like the presence of that un awful feeling of shame is here, but so is your friend or so is the sky. You know, so mindfulness asks us to look at everything else, the full spectrum. So it's almost like those three really core parts of shame. Mindfulness just comes in and says, yeah, I understand, just hang here, almost like that hand and fist metaphor, you know, that's used so often in trauma sensitive mindfulness it's just like you know so mindful self-compassion really is that hand that comes in and just says yeah man oh man this is hard Mm, mm. and sometimes it does it a week a week later (laughs) 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 and sometimes it might do it in the moment like you said mike at the shopping center and sometimes we have the amazing capacity to even see the unmet need in the other person and the And the connection with the other person when we're at sort of like at at our best. But other times it really is the word mindfulness itself means recollection, you know. So it doesn't matter how long after the event, whenever we've got a moment to be able to pause and go, wow, you know, that was hard. That's part of the, that was a human moment. That was a truly awake human moment. It was so, so damn hard. And because it was so hard, let's just give it a little bit of care. Mm. Mm.
0: So you're so quotable, Tina. Oh. There's so, so many lines I've just been writing down now. I'm just like, oh, that's that, that sums <laughs> that up so I, perfectly.
1: I saw you scribbling, Jad. I saw yeah. you. You're like, oh,
2: I've heard you on these podcasts, Jads, and I've just been like, wow. That guy that guy knows his stuff. So I've heard you both. So <laughs> you're being humble. It's nice.
0: <laughs> well, I think, you know, one of the things that connects both Mike and I is we 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 we're both quite happy to look at our own kind of flaws and faults as, you know, the, the messiness of being human. And that's that's really how we came up with kind of the concept of the the show is that, you know, to drop this idea of perfection and and coming back to the the question of what You know, if I gotten out of um, mindful self-compassion, it would be, you know, shame spoke strongly to me because I think um, I didn't even know I felt shame because it just permeated so much of my experience that I just would shut down. Um,
2: Yeah, yeah, we
0: do. Yeah, and and the other one was to kind of drop this idea of, uh, well... (laughs) to hold the idea of perfectionism kind of to the side <laughs> and, and yeah. recognize, you know, we're all just human. And the the ability to self soothe, I think for me was really profound too. Like I was one of those people mm-hmm. in the first six weeks really of the program, maybe, maybe first six months of practicing where I was just like, what is this hippie rubbish? Like, why am I putting my <laughs> hand here? And I've done my time with chakras and crystals and I don't want any more of that stuff. Until I finally was just like, oh, I'm, I'm actually just being nice to myself and I'm holding myself, like, warmly and kind. And that was so – I just could not connect with that for so long. And now it's, you know, even today, I was this tonight's session was just a little reminder because I'm going through some stuff and I was like, oh, that's right. I, I can be there for me too. I don't need to seek it from, you know – I can get it from external sources and I certainly want those still there in my life, but I can also be that resource for myself.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's so cool that we have these two hands, you know, and sometimes we get stuck with the right words to say, you know, like, oh, what, what are the kind words I need right now? Or, but these hands, they they don't need words and they just kind of know how to innately reach out, you know, to grab the mm. hand of another or to hug sometimes or pat someone on the back. And just that realisation that, oh, they're the same hands and right now they can just land on me somewhere that's comfortable and in that moment realising, oh, I'm the giver and the receiver. You know, it's kind of neat. <laughs> but like you said, Jad, we're pack animals, so we want our pack. Mm. And We want our pack as well but sometimes they're not there. And um, I think before I started learning more about self-compassion, I really wanted my pack to mind read me really, you know, like, <laughs> uh, like my husband after you know a while of practicing, he says, you know, you're a much easier person to be around these days. And straight away, you know, it's like,
0: what do you mean (laughs) but it's
2: true because i i can kind of speak my needs a little bit more and you know like kristen neff's research shows that people with a a strong ability a strong practice of self-compassion they're actually she's found in her studies that they're able to communicate relationally more successfully, you know, communicate their needs. They're even able to admit when they've done the wrong, you know, something not so skillful because they've got their own back, like you said, Jad, to sort of fall back to and go, okay, you know, I can actually say some comforting things. I can offer myself some supportive touch right now, even when I make a (laughs) blunder. Yeah.
1: I prefer the term unforced error. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and we can make a lot of them. Oh yes. goodness
1: me, goodness me, T- <laughs> Tina. I'm curious. What is the what is the most challenging thing about what what you do in terms of in terms of teaching? Mm. And I'd love to juxtapose that with what's the what's the most oh, rewarding's not the right word, but it's the best that comes to mm. mind at the moment. So. What's the most, what's yeah. what's the hardest thing about what you do?
2: I think the hardest thing is the best thing as well. Ooh. The hardest thing is to teach with an open heart. It means that your heart gets smashed up and aches and quivers and yeah, because um, people often come to the programs that that I teach because they've got suffering online, you know. And so to be able to hold steady and have, the, you know, because 90% of compassion is courage, really. You know, it's like Joan Halifax says, that strong back, soft front. So having that strong back to allow yourself to have a soft front Um it's not always easy, mm. you know um, but it's it's such a privilege. It is such, such a privilege. Um, because this being human is not easy, you know you hear a lot of really, really sad stories and you're with a lot of people that are really lonely and yeah i think that's nowadays as i get older i realize it's just the price you know you love deeply you hurt deeply and that's okay that's just kind of how it is so i think that's the the biggest thing the biggest reward for what i how i live my life really and how i teach is that loving deeply but yeah there's there's times where I just need to just lie on the grass and look at the clouds and you know and just and I've got four grandchildren that are so adorable, so um mucking around with them and just goofing off and um yeah, I don't know if that's even answered your question, but
1: absolutely it has. I remember thinking about that and even as a participant reflecting on that just thinking gosh it's almost as if your bandwidth expands so so the potential for the highs are higher but there's also more room for the lows for one of a better term and i remember having a discussion with you about kind of like the pathway of the unfolding or the opening heart is not just about, <laughs> you know, sunshine and unicorns and rainbows. It's about being able to be with the whole experience, the whole package deal. But also I guess the difference is that that mindfulness is, is about the experience, but compassion seems to, seem to me to be very useful in looking after the experiencer. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely.
1: If I interpreted that in in any sort of way mm. that is accurate?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: It feels to me like, you know, your heart gets bigger, but it's, you know, a bigger target. It can, can absorb mm. more love and chi, but a bigger target's also easier to hit.
2: Mm. I think what's helpful is, you know, that understanding that we have that there's empathy and there's feeling the pain and how that is in a different part of the brain altogether to compassion. And as a teacher and as a student, we learn more and more about ways to shift from the pain to a compassionate response. And it's that shifting that I just think is a godsend, you know. So the pain is there and then with practice, we shift to that compassionate response. So we're not holding the pain, we're not holding this pain, but we're not scared of it either. So we're feeling our shared experience of this pain, so to speak, the empathic connection, and then making this shift. And what I've really learned is that in my past, it was like an instinct in me to shift from pain to drive, pain to drive, Mm. you know, or pain to threat, you know. And it's not my fault. It's like instinct in humans. It's like don't want it, you know, like push it away. And what you were saying before, Mike, is this capacity to learn to pain, a loving response, you know. So it might be shifting to drive, shifting to doing something. Sometimes we can't do anything. It's more of that holding soothing as jad said before the comforting um but what's always got to be there to have this strong back and soft front is it's always got to go through love or it's not compassion it's something else it's my old habit of fixing you know or it's Mm. my old habit of just tying it up in a bow i used to want to oh let me fix that and i'll put a bow around it (laughs) 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 um But as a teacher, it's that loving, holding space and then putting the trust in my students. It's like, and then what happened? Hearing more about their experience and and witnessing their resources or their exploration of their own experience. And this actually takes intention and, and practice and effort, you know, to go, feeling a pain and what loving response is really gonna serve is it a holding is it is it something that needs to be done but um, so that's what I continue to learn and continue to get wrong at times as well because I've got a lot of it's like a patina on a guitar that well-worn patina you know I've got some old habits <laughs> <laughs> and I just slide down habit lane and yep whoop. Shit, I've done that, so um, um, I keep teaching it because I keep being a student. I keep learning all the time, all the time.
0: I think that's a huge part of my reflections on on um, teaching the skills and practicing the skills. Is the, you know the onion analogy is you you peel away the onion, and then there's this whole other layer of sort of stuff that can come up or resurface or a new way to kind of practice the skills or as you said, you know, old habits run, run deep and, um, it's, yeah, it's a, this constantly unfolding sort of experience. And, and often when I teach it, I use the analogy of, you know, your, your you water, the, the, the eight weeks of mindful self-compassion training is just literally dropping the seed in the soil and pouring a bit of water on it. The, the, the process really unfolds from there and it's slow. And the thing you said before about walk slower so you can go further, I'm going to, like, repeat that to myself (laughs) repeatedly at the moment. It's your mantra. Yeah. (laughs) I was really interested when you said that, that pain pushed you into drive in the past. And when I sort of read that, you know, you had a paramedic kind of background, um, I'm uh, interested in how perhaps your response to pain and suffering back then is maybe different to to now, because as a paramedic work, you obviously see some really serious sort of stuff, and you have to act quick. How um how mm. has that perhaps changed, or and how was how was that then compared to now?
2: Well, it is different, yeah, because that's what you're there to do to fix. And I must admit, even when I was an emergency paramedic, there was quite a few times where I got to the hospital and the the team, fellow paramedics or the team at the emergency department didn't think I'd done enough because sometimes I just sat in the back and held people's hands you know <laughs> so even back then I had an instinctual kind of understanding that sometimes rushing to fix is not what a person needs you know when they're so acutely unwell um But, yeah, it is different because that was a certain role where you are just bang, there to kind of fix people. Um, And it was kind of easier to um, pop all of that pain into little uh, containers, really, and pop it away. It was like, oh, yeah, I'll look at that later (laughs) because there's just too much going on. And it actually wasn't until I, I actually burnt out, like, and I left as a paramedic. And then I'd go past certain places. Like I remember once I went past an accident where a woman had died and, and I just pulled over and just wept, you know, but I didn't at the time because it's like next. And then I was at a, at a party once and someone talked about having a rheumatic heart condition. And I remember going to a, a job with a young mum who had died, you know, and, and um, she had had rheumatic heart condition and, and it was very sad in her young child walked in from school and but I didn't cry then either but then I cried after at this barbecue Mm. when someone talked about it so it's kind of an example of um you know what we call in the program that backdraft where we just store it all away and then when we're ready and there's a bit of warmth and a kind ear suddenly it's like (laughs) so um and I think it's quite handy that we're able to do this, you know, resist certain things and distract and just move on. Mm. But it's not good if it's a habitual way of, of being in the world. So now uh, I'm really lucky. Now i prioritise time and I have the capacity and I've got the resources to, to not have to put things away, you know, and put, pop things under the carpet. I, I don't know if that answers your question, Jad
0: yeah no that perfectly that's um yeah the word the word time is just stuck in my mind right now because I'm kind of having issues with that in my own life at the moment, and this that this rushingness I think is really really coming through mm. that you know we we um we can we can push when sometimes we just need to be what are your thoughts on that, Mike? I so you're looking quite reflective
1: uh, it's like it's like my resistance has a a wonderful wardrobe that it can change into different outfits. Mm. I have a very well-developed capacity to avoid or avert. And that was that was a wonderful part of being a student of this, is sort of understanding that I had the capacity to, I guess, dictate my own tempo. And I had some skill sets to address things. But yeah, that was always my... And I still, my resistance still will change into a different outfit and um, oh. come in a different guise. And I find I, I have to just fight that resistance. Sorry, I have to resist that urge to to move towards it or away from it too quickly or I won't identify it. So that's yeah. what I find fascinating about this wonderful contemplative practice and skills is – it's sort of like you, you you sort of alluded to Tina, and it makes me feel so much better to hear from you know uh, such a, such an advanced teacher that you know sometimes we're always at the beginning. Mm. And I think I'm really okay with that now. I'm okay to be mm-hmm. a professional beginner. and Tina, I have to ask, there's a certain style of teaching which has always made me feel safer and that is incorporating humor <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe i have a need for humor but <laughs> walking in to learn from you doing it over you know a number of days intensive and walking into that room for the first time with from memory five other female practitioners there was probably a good ten or fifteen minutes where I was just shitting myself that I had made the biggest unforced error. I travelled into state, and then you just you just cracked a couple of gags. Now, whether or not intuitively you felt like that needed to balance the presence of this quivering man in your classroom, <laughs> but the moment you incorporated humour, it was just like, oh, okay. This is, mm, I, f- I feel warm. Yeah. I feel warmly met here. I guess the point to mm. my seemingly pointless tangent is how important, Tina Gibson, do you feel that humor is in teaching these sorts of practices?
2: Oh, I just think levity, levity in general, you know, a bit of lightness of being. I can't teach any other way than keeping it real, having humor Uh, I just think we can just take it all too seriously and when I say humor like I'm just not taking the piss out of everyone that walks in the room you know it's respectful (laughs) humor you might have to cut you might have to cut that bit out no but um it's it's respectful humor and I think you know magicians will tell you when they're doing magical tricks you know they they'll use humor and everybody just puts everyone at ease and they don't really notice what they're doing when they're hiding the card or you know like humor is a is a connector it's a connector and you know and I use some of my own experiences when I teach as well I'm really thoughtful about them that they're relevant and um, they're always experiences you know that are healed and Aren't gonna cause problems with people. But I think humor and when you were sharing before, Mike, about your changing costumes and your ability um, regarding resistance, you know, that made me smile because I thought that's, you know, I would be saying to myself, how, you know, how clever of me to be able to do that. You know, how <laughs> we can adapt. Yes. And and this. Mindfulness is just getting to know all of these things that we do to get by and if and when we're ready, we can reflect on whether or not some of them are past their use by date, but we don't go to war with them or fight them, you know, it's about really bowing to the wisdom of the body that we do certain things, it's like, yeah, it was, you know, that was the best I could do in that moment of time. Go me, and it's <laughs> from that friend. It's from that friendliness that we can kind of flourish. It's not from, um, yeah. It's I'm a recovering perfectionist as well, Jad. You know, and perfectionism doesn't really, really have the same warm appeal, does it? <laughs>
0: mm,
2: mm. You know, but this. This humor and warmth and understanding and even just I say to myself sometimes, oh, of course you did that. You know, oh, of course. It's a bit <laughs> bloody stupid, but of course, you know. <laughs> it's just what happened, it's just what came out. <laughs> so I can't remember seeing you in that moment as a nervous, quivering male. I think the only way I ever teach is with humor. Yes. You know, and it does help to create a sense of relative safety i
1: think at times too when we did the teacher training um and we traveled to sydney i i i told jad i said oh i hope she tells a little tina story and surely enough that afternoon you told a little tina story and i was like yes there (laughs) it is like it's um i just think i just think it's so important I guess Jad and I, when we taught our first group, it was it was an all male group, and I think oh,
2: fantastic, fantastic.
1: It was super fun, but yeah, I remember mm. that humour was was vital in mm. just getting some jaws to relax and some guards to drop. Mm. So the the second part of this question is that it's sort of speaking to John. John has referred sometimes to to an australian voice to an australian sort of flavor if a nationality can have a flavor to this practice what is the australian voice in mindfulness and compassion i'm i'm curious if there is one is it the incorporation of that humor or
2: mm. i've taught in lots of places China, Korea, you know, around, and and I'm really wary of saying like an Australian kind of focus, but to keep it real, um, Australians like to keep it real, you know, and we we are a little bit different. We're a bit different, and um, there's not so much. Sometimes some of the programs I've done in the US, there really is the guru on the stage kind of thing, and. Um, we don't take so well to that. We're a little bit in general, but if I was to generalize, a little bit more wary and we're a little bit slower to jump up and down and say, yeah, you know, Mike's the one, I'm going with him, he's, you know, we're a bit more wary. I remember doing a teacher training in Melbourne a few years ago um, for a different program and the teacher was from America on day three and she said, I don't know what's going on with this crowd um, by now. They would be loving me usually, you know, and really be on board. And you Australians, they're actually questioning me. <laughs> and it was like, oh, I'm sorry, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what we do. Don't take offense. It's what we do. And, and, um, you would have noticed that the two wonderful americans i taught with chris and steve mm. sometimes they didn't get my jokes you know but <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even get what some of you were saying because there's slight differences i mean you know we're all warm-hearted but we we just get socialized and i know when i've done training in the u.s people are, are quite quick to just take what the teacher says you know and take it as okay that must be my truth but I really liked that about, you know, when you hear teachings from Buddhism, for example, and one of the things good old Siddhartha said was, you know, be a a lamp unto yourself, you know, and and I think that is the flavour that we have in mindful self-compassion as well here is that we really please don't take what I say as a given, you know, try it out, come back next week and we'll have a chat about it, we'll have a yarn about it and see what came up. Find out for yourself. So I'm not sure if that's the answer to your question, Mike, but that's the general feel that I have.
1: That's wonderful. It resonates with me, that idea, working with international teachers, you know, in martial arts and things, the, the feedback was similar, but one individual in particular said you, as a culture, tend to be slower to warm, but gosh, once you warm to someone, it's it's such a lovely loyalty. Yeah. So, I'm tempted to ask you what, over time, you feel like how the practice of compassion has changed in this country and and what your observations of that over time, but I'm worried that that's a boring Mm. question, but I'm very interested. Right,
2: It's okay. I think compassion, well, it's more talked about now, isn't it? And I think the understanding of the word there's still so many, so much misunderstanding out there. You know, lots of people still say compassion fatigue, when yes. really we know that it, it's really empathy fatigue. Um, I I know for a fact that MBCT, you know, they they rewrote the book to include more compassion. There's um, act with compassion. You know, all of these kind of things. Like you'd know more than me, Jad. Um, that compassion and, you know, I was listening to a a podcast with that gentleman, I'm just forgetting his name, that wrote The Body Keeps.
1: Oh, Bessel, Bessel van der Kolk.
2: Yeah. And at the end of the interview he said, you know what people really need? Self-compassion. You know? And I just thought, wow. So more and more people are starting to talk about it. But in saying that, um, I'm the only teacher teaching it in south oh there's one more teacher one wonderful teacher down south and um, there's a few people that have done the training but um, it's still very very quiet in Australia mm. you know I was the Australia, the Asia-Pacific training coordinator for quite a while and, and you know uh, Chris and Chris Germer and Steve Hickman and that, they'd asked me you know how's things going you know in the Asia-Pacific area and it's like Quiet, quietly. <laughs> it's, still, it's, still, it's still pretty slow. It's pretty slow. But I, I really do hear it being talked about more and more in different ways. And, um, yeah, and so that's all that counts. And and the wonderful thing with, well, it's not all that counts, but I think that's important. But the wonderful thing about Kristen Neff and Chris Germer is They've put all these resources out there and they say use them, mm. you know, use them, you know, use them in your therapy work. They've put the book there for a professional guide for therapists and and for people to use them in their programs as well, use components and just state the source. But they really want, they just want compassion and self-compassion to to continue to grow out there in society. So they're really altruistic like that. So even if the actual program MSC Is still relatively quiet in regards to um, registrations and programs and things. I think compassion in itself is is really alive and kicking out there. Maybe I just choose to think that. Mike, it's
1: it's hard to know if it's the old yellow Volkswagen theory, isn't it? Like you know, once you're looking for a yellow Volkswagen, you see them everywhere, but. I don't know. I think it's less of a dirty word, particularly among- yeah. amongst men.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. And this sort of leads me to to the question, overall, what sort of proportion of male to female would you would you say that you've seen in your groups? And is
2: that shifting at all? Mm, I don't I haven't noticed that it's shifting. I think mine is pretty stereotypic. And even when I talk to fellow teachers in the States. And in Europe and the UK, they say the same thing. So maybe I would be lucky to have a quarter men, yes. and that's lucky. And sometimes I have groups like yours, But sometimes I have even quite big groups with one man in it. So at the moment, I teach a lot online. I teach an eight-and-a-half-month community for deepening practice. So it's for people that have done the eight-week and then they want to go deeper. So we spend a month on each session of the program and the two programs I have at the moment 20 people two men in one and four men in the other yeah and I think it's um the wording at times you know I think that doesn't really help um I know in the states they've tried to to make some programs just for men and um, they haven't got the numbers for them even with changing the wording and changing the the program itself so i mean kristen neff's research says that males tend to actually have more self compassion but um in general um but the willingness to go into programs is uh is pretty
1: Low. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I. I yeah. S- you find the same. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Um. I wonder. I don't know. I. 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 have stopped pontificating on what that's about. Um. I. I. Yeah. I, I want to be really careful in sort of l- putting any labels or concept concept of identity on it. Mm. But it's tough because, particularly when speaking to men, I have to be really careful that I'm not coming off too much as a zealot because, ah, oh, it was such a liberating practice for me. It just, oh, I could just put all these bags down. I was like, oh, this is cool. I don't need to, I don't really need to carry all this stuff. This is lovely. And it's my choice which bag I put down and that's quite nice. So, yeah, yeah it's an interesting thing. I'd, I'd love to create more compassionate dudes in a room, but I'm not certain as to yeah. ha- ha- what the way forward is there.
2: Yeah, but I think there's something to be said, you know, as you two get older, you know, mentoring young males. And I think there's a huge need for it in our society, but it's like people's window of tolerance has shrunk over COVID. And because of that, I don't know if there's a great capacity for it, even though there's a need. So what I'm hearing is people want short, quick fix short uh-huh. quick fix things so um and especially where you you are coming out of COVID is quite a traumatic coming out of lockdown mm. sorry is quite a traumatic experience in itself mm. so yeah well, you know you think that i've been through that been through this my window of tolerance would be bigger but actually shoot
1: interesting tends to yeah mm, it's a that's a great point
0: i've sort of i i was just you know for various professional memberships you have to you know do cpe continuing education mm-hmm. and um i just realized i haven't done any all, all year and it's because i just didn't have the brain capacity to do yeah. another freaking online webinar or anything yeah. i just you know so much of this is on zoom and therapy's on zoom with my clients and catching up with family was on zoom and it's just i just couldn't couldn't bear to do it and i think yeah you, you hit the nail on the head there i think covid sort of taught us that that we, we sort of yeah. need a, a time period to re- readjust. Going back to the idea yeah. of me, um, men in, in mindful self-compassion, I've, I must admit I've had more one-on-one uh, experience mm. now with, with guys and self-compassion. And I found that as a, just an anecdotal observation, again, not wanting to generalize, that that's expressing vulnerability such a key part of it. And that's a bit perhaps trickier for the average Australian male to do in a group mm. situation. Um, but one on one, I found that a little bit a little bit easier to for them to feel comfortable accessing that. But in the first group of men that we had um, a group with, that ability to be vulnerable, I think was probably one of the most powerful groups um, I've taught. And I wonder if Mike is says uh, shares a similar view.
2: That's great. Oh, absolutely.
1: Massive. I think we continually gave out massive spiritual high fives for just being vulnerable. I found when I've taught men that once you can get past that early stage of being vulnerable, even if it's just the common humanity bit, oh, it's not just me, that can be extremely liberating too. So, Mm. yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's people teaching it in prisons in the US, which is pretty amazing. So,
1: Yes. mm. Well, Tina, we've kept you for more than an hour, and I'm mindful of that. We are so grateful to – it's just lovely to reconnect anyway, but so grateful to have you on the podcast. Jad usually wraps this up more skillfully than I. Don't you say some stuff like, where's your – you know, <laughs> what are those things? you do it and I'll cut that bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm I'm sensing a need for you to be rescued. Here. Yeah, I was about to um, I was like, oh, what, what's the,
1: all that internet stuff? You
2: know.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> a warm thank you again, Tina, for, for joining us on the show. Um I just want to ask, where can people find you and is there anything further you want to share?
2: No, all I would share, Jad, is um Look after yourself, everyone. And I know that you're not alone, that this being human is is really tricky. Um, I I have a website. I don't look after it very well, Jad. Adelaide Mindfulness. <laughs> I'm not very much on social media. It's find a lot more updated than
0: mine. <laughs> <laughs> There's that common humanity.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would just really, I just would take this opportunity. I know it sounds really corny, but just to send everybody a, a big high five of love and that this being human, it's not that easy, but hang in there because you're not alone. It's a, it's a bit of a tough gig for all of us. And I'm so glad that there's people like you two out there, Mike and Jad. So thank you. It's been thank a, you. an absolute delight.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs>